you have your Bibles, please join me in Genesis chapter 2. If uh, you don't have a copy with you, there should be one in the pew nearby. Just to add to what Jeff said, uh, we, today is kind of our, real, our, our big kickoff for the fall, and uh, we have, not only do we have Sunday school classes starting, but we also have uh, some new small groups starting up. And so if you want to be a part of either of those things, either a new Sunday school class or small groups, right at the Welcome Center, there is some uh, information that will tell you when and where all of those classes meet. So if you're not sure, you're, you're afraid of getting lost, wandering around looking for a Sunday school class, there's a, there's a brochure there that describes each of the classes that will be taking place. If you're interested in getting connected with a small group, some of them meet here at the church, some of them meet at homes. They meet at different nights throughout the week. Um, we want to encourage you to be a part of that and, and find a place uh, that will uh, you'll, you'll be able to get connected and, and get to know some of the people. Our group on Sunday night will be uh, studying a booklet called The Gospel Center Marriage. And so while this sermon series is going to hit a number of different topics regarding marriage and family, our discussion on Sunday nights down there uh, by Route 28 will more focus on the marriage relationship. So we just want to encourage you to, if, if that's of interest to you, to come on out. We've got booklets for everybody to, to go through and some discussion questions. As we start this series, I, I want to give a few disclaimers at the outset. Uh, first of all, if you, you might be thinking marriage and family. Well, that's fine, Pastor, but you know, I'm, I'm single or uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a teenager. I, I don't, I'm just, just launching out on life. I don't plan on getting married anytime soon. I don't have kids yet or my kids are long gone. Uh, what's, how is this going to apply to my life? Well, I want to encourage you to be here each week. And to see, we're, this will be eight, an eight-week journey as we look through different topics. And I, my prayer is that no matter what walk of life you're in, and no matter what stage of life you're in, that God's Word will apply to you, and there'll be some truths that you can grab a hold of and apply to your life. We're going to talk about the marriage relationship. We're going to talk about what God says to men, what God says to women. We're going to talk about God's definition of marriage in our current cultural assault on the definition of marriage and, and what, what God's Word has to say about marriage being between a man and a woman. We're going to talk about uh, uh, children and just give some uh, scriptural advice to parents who uh, may be at the point of pulling their hair out or, or wondering what to do or how to handle some of these situations that you encounter as parents. And so hopefully as we walk through this together, God's Word will challenge your heart and your soul, no matter what stage of life you're in. The second disclaimer I want to give is this. I, I don't know if this thought ever, has ever crossed your mind, but I may have shared this. But as a kid growing up, I would watch and listen to our, our pastor preach. And I thought that there was this rule for pastors, that if he was to get up and preach something, that must mean that he had it totally mastered. That if he was preaching on a passage of Scripture, that he must follow that passage of Scripture perfectly. And so I would sit up there looking at this pastor thinking, holy cow, this guy must be an amazing, super-duper Christian. Well, if my wife were here in this service, she'll be here the next service, and she could give a hearty amen. I do not have marriage completely figured out. This is a process. My wife and I will be celebrating our 15th wedding anniversary on October 14th. And it has been a journey. I hope I've learned a few things along the way. But what I'm going to share with you during this series, especially in the parts talking about marriage, is going to be heavily based in God's Word. Because if it were solely based on my experience, I would have a, a few anecdotes and a few what-not-to-dos to offer you. But God's Word has so much more. And so we are going to dive in to Scripture as we go into this series. 
Marriage is an interesting thing. Those of you who have experienced marriage know the joys and the frustrations that can come, uh, the, the great blessings and the great consternations that come with living with another person of the opposite sex. Uh, one woman was uh, sharing at a ladies' gathering, and uh, she was lecturing on marriage and asked, asked the audience how many, how many of the people there wanted to mother their husbands. Well, one member in the back row raised her hand, and the speaker said, You're admitting you, you want to mother your husband? Mother, the woman echoed. I thought you said smother. One man's gravestone said these words, Beneath these stones do lie, back to back, my wife and I. When the last trumpet the air shall fill, if she gets up, I'll lie here still. (laughs) Some people had so much difficulty in marriage on earth that they're not looking forward to the prospect of spending eternity with that same person, with the Lord. But you know what? For all of its difficulties, for all of its challenges, marriage does not have to be that way. We know that living with another sinner, two sinners in the same household, there's going to be struggles, there's going to be difficulties. But if we give attention to God's Word and look at what He has to say about it, marriage, rather than a fight club, can be a time of growth, of maturing and encouragement as you draw nearer to one another and to God. And so there's some biblical principles from uh, Genesis chapter 2 and Jeremiah 31 that I want us to see today. The title of today's message is The Marriage Covenant. And I want to begin by talking about the covenant because I think it's so crucial that we lay the groundwork in our day and age that when a husband and wife get together on that beautiful day, the wedding day, and they stand before the crowd. Everything is, everything's perfect. The dress, the flowers, the, 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 you've got the groom to shave and to clean up for once. And, and all of his buddies there standing next to him hopefully have done the same. They've arrived on time. And the music's perfect and the food's perfect and everything is wonderful. And sometimes lost amidst the, the beauty of that day and all the planning and the preparation and the partying and the celebrating is that you and your spouse are standing before a group of people that you've invited, well, most, of them, most of them you probably invited, and you're not only just standing before them, you're standing before a pastor, and far more important than any of the, the people physically present, you're standing before God. And you are making a commitment that day. Vows change and the wording are different from time to time. But a good marriage, the vows should state that you are committing to love one another till death parts the two of you. That you are desiring to stay in a committed relationship to one another. To love and honor and cherish through thick and thin. Through the good times and through the bad. And I think today, that commitment, that covenant, so to speak, is under assault. Far too many of us look for the easy way out. And I'm not just talking about marriage. It's so easy to get out of anything anymore. From your, your cell phone contract to, to uh, getting out of obligations, uh, uh, membership rates in any organization, whether it be the church or 
Uh, you name it, any club that you've ever been a part of, membership rates all across the country are down because people have trouble making a commitment. And the same is true in marriage. And so we want to look at some components of the marriage covenant to remind ourselves of the seriousness of that commitment that we make. First of all, here in Genesis 2, we're going to see that marriage is ordained by God. If you found your place there, I just want you to follow, follow along as I read Verses 18 through the end of the chapter. It says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with the flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from that man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother And hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Our first thought here is that marriage is ordained by God. By the way, while I'm thinking of it, if you're filling in notes or you've got those notes, on the back there's a list of discussion questions. If you want to think a little bit more about the sermon each week on your own, there's some some questions that you could, a passage of scripture you could read and some questions you can fill in or if you want to do it with a friend over coffee. And also there's a couple of the resources that I'll include each week that were really an encouragement to me as I studied it out if you want to dig a little deeper in that as well. But as you read these verses here in Genesis 2, there's so much we could say about them. I want to just point out a a couple of things. First of all, that marriage was God's idea. This is not a a man-invented thing. And that's really important because uh, man is currently trying to redefine it, to, to, to say this is what it should look like. And we can change it because the culture has changed. And we need, to, we need to remind ourselves that this from the beginning was ordained by God and therefore it's defined by God. He gets to set the rules. He gets to set the boundaries because he's God. And, and if you need to be reminded, go back to chapter 1 which explains that God created everything. That means he's in charge. He's the owner of all, the ruler of all. And he gets to make the rules when it comes to marriage. And so as we think about marriage, first of all, marriage is a good idea because it's God's idea. It was God's plan. It's not a human invention. God knew what we needed. He looked at Adam. And all throughout creation up to this point, he has said over and over again, I think six times, he's looked at his creation. He says, it is good. It is good. Behold, the Lord saw it. And it was good. And as we come in this narrative, this is the first time in the whole stretch of creation where he says that something is not good. He looked at Adam staying there alone, and he said, this isn't going to (laughs) work. He is not going to make it. It is not good that he's alone. I am going to create a helper. He's going to create someone who who can come together with Adam and be his helper, be his helpmeet. (coughs) And so they could work together. God designed men and women uniquely for one another. Notice that in the last section there, he says, verse 24, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his, mother, his father and mother 
and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The Bible teaches that when a husband and wife get married, they're starting a new family unit. Whenever I perform a marriage ceremony, I try to emphasize that. That, that, that you need to avail yourself to the people around you. Don't hesitate to ask mom and dad for advice, but you are your own family now. And one of the struggles that many marriages face is because one or the other, or sometimes both of them, failed to leave and cleave. They, they failed to cut ties with mom and dad. I read about a, a couple one evening who were quietly enjoying their empty nest. And as they sat reading together in peaceful quiet, the phone rang. The wife answered and listened as their newly married daughter through tears and sobs, described the newlyweds' first big fight. Well, the wife was beside herself with what to do and didn't know how to handle it, so she just handed the phone to her husband. And after the daughter explained the devastating events to her father, she said, Daddy, I want to come home. To that, the father simply replied, Honey, you are home. Some of us have that struggle and we need to make sure, especially as you're, as you're beginning to launch out with your spouse, with your husband or your wife, that you follow God's word to leave and cleave. That term leave means to stick. And it indicates here that marriage is to be viewed as a covenant. So when we celebrate the marriage ceremony, it's more than just a beautiful party. It's a public covenant before God before the church, before the family and the state, that you're committing to remain together. And that's the second thought here, that marriage is a covenant before God. Malachi 2 says, The Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. The Bible clearly describes marriage as a covenant. If you... If you um, Flip over to later in the Old Testament to Jeremiah 31. We're going to look at some of the parallels between an important covenant that God made with the nation of Israel and the covenant that we make in marriage. Broadly speaking, a covenant is a contract. It's an agreement. It's a bond. It's a commitment saying, I am going to do this. So one writer says that a marriage covenant becomes a freely given and accepted consent between a man and a woman to marry each other and to live in committed love and faithfulness with each other throughout their lives. It is a publicly known commitment with which goes some publicly accepted accountability. We're calling for a radical definition of marriage. It's not a... a, I love you, I want you, yes, I do too, I love you, I want you, let's get married. A Hollywood notion of of marriage, a whirlwind romance where sparks are flying, is is neat and it it makes for an entertaining box office hit, but it, it doesn't describe the biblical marriage covenant. When trash needs to be taken out late at night and all you want to do is sit and finish the fourth quarter of the game. When dishes are piling up at the sink and, and, and you know your spouse has had a long, long day at work and technically it's their day to do them, but you, you know deep within that the Holy Spirit's telling you to love your wife in such a way 
is to go get your hands dirty or clean, I guess, in the soapy water. The nitty-gritty of marriage kicks in. We're reminded of the importance of commitment, of covenant. In Jeremiah 31, God introduced to the people of Israel what theologians call the New Covenant. If you remember in the New Testament, the night before Jesus died when he was celebrating the Passover, he said he was inaugurating the New Covenant. That's that's what happens here in Jeremiah 31, and we're not going to read the whole chapter. There's so much here. But there are a few things that we can derive from this covenant with regards to the marriage covenant. First of all, covenants are initiated for the benefit of another person. Covenants are initiated for the benefit of the other person. Verse 1 in Jeremiah 31 says, At that time declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel and they shall be my people. You see, when God initiated this covenant, it wasn't for himself. He he wasn't looking and saying that he was deficient in some way and he needed relationships and I just wish I had a few friends and so I'm going to call out these Israelites and I'm going to make them my people. God did it for their sake, to bless them. And so many of us enter into marriage for what we can get out of it. We might not say it in many terms, but we, we want them to make us happy. We deserve to be happy, and it's their job to make me happy. If you take that thinking into marriage, you will have difficulties, especially if your spouse is thinking the exact same thing. Many of us enter marriage for what we can get out of it. But what if we began looking at our marriages as an opportunity to serve? What if we got up in the morning and decided that that day was not going to be about me, it was going to be about them? It was going to be about serving rather than receiving. Jesus said the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. It's what Jesus modeled And it's what God demonstrated here in this covenant. Secondly, in covenant relationships, people make unconditional promises. People make unconditional promises. If you were to read through this whole chapter, verse 31, the phrase, God says the phrase, I will, 21 times. In this covenant, he is saying, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to make this happen. Then over here, I'm going to make this happen. God was taking it upon himself to bring about these blessings for his people. He made a promise, a commitment. In marriage today, many people are content to make promises that are laced with an underlying assumption. I promise so long as you meet my expectations. As long as things are going well. As long as everybody's healthy, as long as, as long as you don't upset me too much, fill in the blank. I was shopping yesterday and, with the boys, and we were at a store, and I was watching a, a husband who was pushing his wife around in a wheelchair. And she looked like she was kind of being a little snippety. He wasn't doing this right. He was leaving her out in the middle of the aisle. He needed to get her a little closer. To, and, and, and he was just kind of loving her, and I just thought, Wow, I wonder how long this has been going on. Maybe, maybe six weeks after they were married, married, she was paralyzed in a car accident. And now for 20, 30, 40 years, he's been helping her along in her wheelchair. Maybe this is a relatively new de- development. 
How long would, would you help your spouse in and out of the bed? For how long would, would you uh, help feed them? Help get them dressed in the morning? For better or for worse, the marriage covenant is a commitment. It's a willingness to say, no matter how things are going, no matter what, what the day is like, no matter how I feel, I am committed to you unconditionally. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor, a German pastor who stood up against the Third Reich in Nazi Germany and was eventually executed just weeks before the war ended, wrote a letter to a young married couple. and uh, He was in prison at the time, and he wrote, As you gave the ring to one another and have now received it a second time from the hand of the pastor, so love comes from you, but marriage from above from God. As high as God is above man, so high are the sanctity, the rights, and the promise of love. He says, it is not your love that sustains the marriage, but from now on, the marriage that sustains your love. You see, there'll be days when you don't feel like loving your spouse. There'll be days when you maybe feel like, like, like killing your spouse. And you begin to think, where could I dump the body and not get caught? How could I make this look like an accident? There are days when you do not feel like showing unconditional love. And it's in those days that the marriage covenant sustains your love. That it allows you to keep going further. The promise you made before God to love no matter what. And thirdly, covenant relationships are based on a steadfast love. On a steadfast love. Verse 3 of that chapter, at the end of verse 3, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Love, and I have continued my faithfulness to you. We, we, could, we could spend a whole message on that beautiful verse. God says to his people, knowing that there would be times when they were absolutely just jerks and disobedient and rebellious, but he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have continued in faithfulness to you. I will be there for you no matter what. Mm, What a beautiful verse. And then fourthly, we learn from this passage that covenant relationships view commitments as permanent. Covenant relationships view commitments as permanent. Look at verses um, 35 and 36 as he's winding it down. And he wants them to know just how serious he is about this covenant that he's making with them. It says, Thus said Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Listen to what he says. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation forever. You hear what he's saying? He says, how often do you see the moon? How many nights does it come out? It's there every night. The stars, they're in place. They come day in and day out. The ocean waves continue their roaring. And he says, only when those things cease to exist will my covenant with you end. He's saying, I I choose to be faithful to you. This covenant I am making with you is as permanent 
as the sun I have hung in the sky. Too many marriages simply start with an escape clause. It may not be written down in the prenups, but it has been written down somewhere in the back of the mind. And so the motto becomes, if the going gets tough, the tough find a good lawyer. And in our culture today, we need to be people who are fighting against the tide, fighting against this easy out clause where we're choosing to look at our commitments as permanent, as made before God. And then finally, covenant relationships require confrontation and forgiveness. And we're going to say more about this next week. But if you trace God's relationship with His people throughout the Bible, you'll notice that He doesn't simply let their sins go by the wayside. They're dealt with, they're confronted, they're worked on, and there's forgiveness. To those of you who are single at this stage of your life, maybe you've never been married, maybe you've gone through a heart-rending divorce, maybe you've lost a spouse, um, I want to share with you the words of Richard Baxter, a Puritan pastor from, who lived hundreds of years ago. As he was giving advice to someone who was about to be married, he said, let your marriage covenant be made understandingly, deliberately, heartily in the fear of God, with a fixed resolution faithfully to perform it. Understand well all the duties of your relation before you enter into it and run not upon it as boys to a play, but with the sense of your duty as those that engage themselves to a great deal of work of great importance towards God and toward each other. If you're contemplating marriage, you hope one day to be married, I encourage you, Don't run into marriage, as Baxter says, as boys going off to play, as just a fairy tale, but as a a willingness to be fully committed to the covenant that you are making. Marriage is a covenant before God. And then finally, marriage is sustained by God. I realize that the idea of a marriage covenant is a tall order. And you know that, that marriage can get difficult. You know that, that it's, it's work. And I want to encourage you today that it is not a work that God leaves you to do on your own. If you feel like you are alone in your marriage, like you're the only one on the team who wants to work at this thing, I want you to know that you're not alone. Psalm 127.1 says that unless the Lord builds this house, those who labor build in vain. We need God to build our homes. We need God's grace. Oh, do we need God's grace? I, I don't know about you. I don't, I don't feel like taking the trash out after it's dark and Started a TV show. You don't know what's out there. It's dark outside. I don't have good porch lights in the back. Scary stuff. 
I don't, I don't feel like setting aside what, what I wanted to do, my agenda for the day, so that I can, I can sacrifice a little bit, maybe watch the kids so she can go out with a friend that she hasn't seen in, in years. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't want to sacrifice deep down. But when I, when I begin to look at, God's pers- at things from God's perspective, and by His grace I'm given eyes to see the blessings of service, of loving the way that Jesus loved, I begin to, to sense within me a, a, a stirring desire that can only be explained by His Holy Spirit. And when you find yourself wrapped up in selfishness, when you find yourself looking out for, for number one, I want to implore you to go to the Lord in prayer and say, God, give me the attitude of Christ because I don't have it right now. Admit it before Him. He knows it already, but go ahead and confess Him. God, I want to do what I want to do, and I want to do it for me. <laughs> And when you pray that prayer with with sincerity, asking God to change your heart, you're going to find that He does something. You're going to find that He answers it. You're going to find that He provides the grace to say, okay, she's more important than the game right now. My my kids right now are more important than this book that I'm reading. The the golf game, it can wait. I'm, I'm giving guy examples. I don't know what... What well, well, you're going to have to sacrifice, ladies. They're, they're, they're coming to your mind. I'm going to have to set this aside so that I can serve. I'm going to have to set aside my desires so that I can love unconditionally the way that I've been loved by God. Whether that's chores, whether it's, it's choosing to forgive when you don't feel like it, whatever it is, you and I, we need God's grace for it. Unless the Lord builds our home, those who labor, labor in vain. Some of you have been blessed by, uh, by the books uh, written by Isabel Kuhn from years gone by. She was a popular author and missionary to China. She was married to a man by the name of John, a man just as strong-willed and stubborn as she was. The two had many conflicts. John, for example, had a cook in China to whom he was devoted, but whom Isabel couldn't stand. Tensions grew, and Isabel sulked and stewed and finally exploded, and she and John had a blazing argument. Stuffing her hat on her head, Isabel stalked from the house through town and onto the plain, onto the plain boiling with rage. She said to herself, I am not going to live with a man who gives a lazy servant preference over his wife. She walked for hours and raged, not caring where she went. She finally returned home, but the situation remained tense, although John told Isabel she could dismiss the servant. When the local church leaders visiting wanted to know why the cook had been fired, John wouldn't back Isabel, and he didn't hire anyone else, sending all the domestic duties on her. Other issues arose, and for a long time the marriage was painful and stressed, but John and Isabel were committed to their master. They were committed to personal spiritual maturity and to working and maintaining the relationship, however difficult it seemed. Furthermore, Isabel admitted that she had nowhere to go. She often walked out on John, but in that remote region of the Chinese Thai border, there was nowhere for her to go. 
And so, through, year, although, through the years, the two finally built a satisfying and fulfilling marriage. And near the end of her life, Isabel wrote these words. I feel many modern marriages are wrecked on just sharp shoals such as this. A human weakness is pointed out. The correction is resented. Argument grows bitter. Young people are not ready to forgive, not willing to endure. Divorce is too quickly seized upon as the way out. But to pray God to awaken the other person and to be patient until he does so, this is God's way out. And it molds the two opposite natures into one invincible whole. I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you've kind of worked through a lot of this stuff in your marriage relationship and, and marriage is humming along. And, and to those who are maybe in that boat, who through years of seasoned experience have learned to work through marital difficulties and challenges, I want to encourage you to be a mentor to somebody. To come alongside. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's, it's your adult children who are struggling. Maybe it's someone here in the church that you can sit down with and have a cup of coffee with and, and, and let them know the, the years of wisdom that you've come through. Maybe you're in a different boat. Maybe for you, you say, well, Pastor, thanks, thanks for the message, but this is coming a few years too late. We, we cut ties and separated years ago. This, this, is, this is great, but it doesn't apply to my wife and I or, or my ex and I. To those of you in that boat, I want to encourage you. Uh, I think our Christian culture has come a long way in this. There was a time when divorce was like the unpardonable sin. You were, you were labeled as, as a you know, spiritual second or third-rate Christian. And, and I, I think, fortunately, we've, we've come out of that. But I just want to encourage you, if you still feel that, whether that's from our church or whether that's from the the Christian culture as a whole, that God's forgiveness is total and clean and complete. And and I realize, we're going to talk about it in a few weeks, that there are certain situations that divorce is is biblical. And and, and maybe you fall into one of those situations. But I just just want you to hear carefully that no no matter how much we're talking about the marriage covenant, if, if if you're at a place where, yeah, that would have been nice to talk about this 10 years ago, but it's a little late for us. I want you to know that, that, that God, God offers forgiveness. And God brings healing. And God is not done with you at all in any way, shape, or form. For those of you who are in a marriage right now, and you're here and you're struggling, and you can relate to the coons and you think, yeah, I'm there. It's tough. We drove separate cars this morning. We were at each other's throat before we walked in the door and had to put that fake smile on. I know what you're talking about. I want to encourage you to just begin here with the marriage covenant. We'll get to some of the other stuff and hopefully some of the, maybe the small groups you'll get involved in or some of the, the extra reading you'll do and some of the application that we'll touch on throughout the series. We'll, we'll build on this, but go back here. Go back to the marriage covenant. Go back to that day where you stood with that guy who was 65 pounds lighter and a lot more interesting. 
when you stood with that woman who hadn't started nagging you yet, who, who thought your, your, all of your mounts and your man cave were cool at the time, and go back to that day and remember the words best you can that you spoke to her, to him. And recall that you made those commitments before the creator of heaven and earth. And choose today that no matter how hard things are right now, if just last night you were looking up hit men on the yellow pages, no matter how difficult things are, that you're going to choose to honor that covenant you made before God. I realize, I realize that things may be very difficult. I've sat in the office over there and heard stories that just break my heart. But begin here. Begin with the covenant that you made. God says to you today that he has loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, he has continued his faithfulness to you. Renew that commitment today to choose to love your spouse by God's grace with an everlasting love. Let's pray. God, the marriage commitment, man and woman coming together, it was all created by you. You told us right at the beginning of Genesis that it wasn't good for man to be alone. And Father, you have blessed many of us with a great marriage. And many of us are in the middle today of a, of a good marriage, but it's just, it's just facing some struggles. Wherever, wherever this scripture finds us today, God, I pray that we would renew the covenant that, that we made to one another. That men and women all around this, this room today would make a choice in their minds to say, no matter what, Lord, I'm going to be true. I'm going to be faithful. I've made mistakes I've blown it a few times, but today, Lord, I'm, I'm renewing that covenant. And may husbands and wives get together this week and remind each other that for better or worse, sickness or health, they're going to stick it out and they're going to be faithful to one another. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit because it's only by His grace that we can make these choices come to fruition. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.